0: If you'd like to learn more about Elevate, visit us at iloveelevate.com, follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everything you do, which brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. So tonight is titled, Sheep on the Run. It's a playoff man on the run. You can YouTube it later. This may be kind of insulting, but follow me for a second. Jesus in the Bible and father God throughout the Bible refer to us as sheep. He being the good shepherd sheep. Have you met a sheep? Have you been around a sheep? They stink. They're aimless. They're empty headed. If they were shot with a 22 in the head, it would bounce around and not hit anything. I remember a man grabbed a sheep by the head one time, stared into its eyes and came to the conclusion that nothing was staring back. Sheep are dumb. They they don't have a thought beyond this present moment. And for God to call us sheep is just a little insulting. If he wasn't referring to himself as the one who cares and loves and provides, the one who purifies. So we open up with this verse tonight, and God is calling us sheep. It's 1 Peter Chapter 2, verses 24 through 25. He himself, talking about Jesus, bore or carried our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. But his wounds, by his wounds you have been healed. Now, we use this out of context a lot. We'll use it for praying for physical healing. But look at the context here. This is talking about our sin, what separates us from God. By his wounds we are healed. Healed because he carried our sin in his body. Our spiritual nature has been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That is beautiful. And I hope that this verse comes to life as we unpack some of these amazing, beautiful elements of the word of God tonight. Lord, have your way in us. Put an anointing on me to speak your word. I pray that you shut my mouth with anything that is of me. Lord, let people totally forget me and what I look like and let them just see Jesus and hear your words tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Strain like sheep. Remember how David used a sling? Most of the time, the sling was just to hit rocks against other rocks to startle the sheep back in. Sheep are so dumb that if there is a storm, they will all huddle in head first, blocking the storm with their fuzzy bodies. Brilliant. Except the sheep in the middle suffocate to death. Like, sheep need guidance. They need a caretaker. They need someone who is going to give them constant TLC. Hang on to that for a second. In the Bible, there are three words for sin. Did you guys enjoy looking at the seven words for praise? That was so much fun. This is similar to that, except, thank goodness, they get translated into different words for us. But I want to go back to the root of those words. So as you're reading through the Bible, each one of these words makes sense because we're going to look at ways that the context changes when we know what the word means. So the first word for sin that we'll find in our body, Bible, body, is transgression. Think of the word trespass. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It can also come across as rebellion. The Hebrew word is pesha. Now, transgression means a violation of trust, as in we were friends or we had a contract or we had a promise between us and I broke it. I have broken your trust. Someone breaking into your house and stealing your stuff is robbery, but if it was your friend that broke in and stole your stuff, that is a transgression. It was where there is a woundedness, something has been lost, a relationship has been lost because your trust has been violated. This is bringing up that Bible covenant language that we talked about uh, last year. In the late last year, we talked about covenants. Do you remember that? It was week, oh man, what was I I wrote it down? So week 14 in the Son of Righteousness. You can go back in the podcast and listen to it. The Bible is full of covenant language. The idea that God and man established a covenant, but man has broken it. And whenever a covenant is broken, you fall under the curses section. See, if you withhold the covenant, then you hold the covenant, then you are blessed, and if you break the covenant, you receive curses. And so man has broken covenant with God, and we come under this curse. So the whole Bible is about man's transgression, our breaking a promise with God. Romans 5, we're going to read 1 through 2, and I'm going to skip around a little bit to 12 and 15. Forgive me, but I wanted to save a little bit of time. But listen to this in light of that transgression language. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith—justified means made right with, the other side of broken trust. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin— and so death spread to all man because all sinned. So death came in by Adam. The covenant was broken. And so sin is now in the world. Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. It's not like the broken covenant. For if many died through one man's broken trust, if one, through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by grace, that one man, that is Jesus Christ, abounded for money, for many. So, Adam breaks covenant. We're all infected by that. And Jesus, through his being awesome, the son of God, dying and resurrecting, he restores the trespass. He restores trust between man and God. We've been justified. The second word for sin is sin itself. It comes from the word kata, And this is the idea of archery. You are shooting at a target and kata Sin is whenever you miss the target. You were aiming, you had everything going for you. The wind changed, you got distracted, and you missed the target. So you were going one direction, and you didn't make it. We fail. We fail to love God. We fail to love others. If you look at the Ten Commandments, these are ten targets that God has setting for us. The first five are the five targets that we miss when we fail to love God, and the second five are the the five targets we miss when we fail to love other people. I love it because how we love God and how we love people is intricately woven together. Jesus even says that how you treat other, is, other people is exactly how you're treating him. Consider Joseph running from Potter's wife. Whenever he ran from Potter's wife, he didn't say, how am I going to sin against myself? He said, how can I sin against God by doing this thing? There is a, a, a... you. Unique binding between how we treat God is how we treat other people. How we treat other people is reflection of how we treat God. I love it. I've got a, my son is, gonna be five in a week, and he has his first little bow and arrow. And it's one of those suction cup arrows. Thank God. And I've been trying to teach him the proper form of archery. And so he's got this thing where he just pulls it back and fires, and there's no aiming, there's no direction. It's just, and there's like a window struck. You know, our child goes down on the other side of the room. You know, it's like, it's crazy in my house. That is what's going on with us whenever we're aiming towards a target, but we become distracted. Remember, the enemy, the devil, doesn't have to defeat you. He just has to distract you. That's what sin is. We're aiming for this, and we become distracted with our own desires. What I really want is over there. What I really desire is not the target. Are you following me? I remember one time I was driving back from Destin to Homa, and I'm on I-10, and there is an exit that if you do not get off I-10 at that exit, you go over Lake Pontchartrain. Have you ever driven over Lake Pontchartrain? This is not one of the bridges that you hold your breath from one side to the other. And I remember Jackie fell asleep, and I needed to get off of that exit, and I missed it. I was listening to an audio book or something, singing, who knows what I was doing, and I head off over the lake, and she woke up, and I realized that I have 40 minutes, and then turn around and 40 minutes before I come back. Isn't sin like that? Whenever we will miss our target, it's like it binds us, and we're just stuck on this path. We've missed the target, and now we're just gone. We begin with one lie, and that lie leads to another lie, until so we just can't even be around people without feeling the strain of trying to keep up the lie. We get sucked into, maybe it's sexual sin, and and we just can't break out of it. It's like we're on this endless bridge, and there's nowhere to turn around. That's sin. That's the muck that we put ourselves in whenever we sin. But Jesus is the good news. Why? Because 1 Peter 2, 24 through 25, he himself bore our sin, our missing the target. He took that in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds we've been healed but we were straying off target like sheep but now have returned to the shepherd thank you jesus the third word for sin that you're going to see in the bible is iniquity iniquity comes from the word avon. this means that something was straight and it is now crooked or bent wicked wicked just means twisted think of a wicker chair it's just twisted wicker right that's what iniquity means it has the idea of someone who is standing up straight and is now bent over. In Isaiah 59, God is speaking to the leaders, and he tells the leaders that they are so bent over, they're so crooked that no one who is upright, standing correctly, upright or righteous, can even enter their city. Because God had appointed these leaders to take care of people, and they have been using their power to abuse people for their own gain. What's so poisonous about iniquity is that this crookedness becomes our new straight. Remember what Jesus said? And it always threw me off. He he said, you know, woe to those whose light is darkness. I was like, what does that mean? Does that mean that they're in darkness and they're absolutely sure they can see? Because they can't even recognize at least people that, you know, maybe guys that are like at APOR and the drug rehab program over there, At least they know that their life is a mess. But woe to the people that are absolutely sure that they're good. They've got this figured out, and they're actually living in darkness. And that's what sin does to us. That's what iniquity does to us. Our crooked becomes what we think is normal, straight, appropriate. Isaiah 520, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. If we actually looked at the consequences of sin, let's take the example of you know, someone who just sleeps around with whoever he can sleep around with. If we were to zoom out and look at the long-term consequences of sin, it would be bitter. It would be terrible. It would affect every other aspect of his life. But then we have a society that says, "No, this is sweet. This is good. This is living life to the fullest." Woe to those who take what is bitter and call it sweet. Iniquity also has this beautiful, this just blew my mind when I learned this. By the way, all credit of this goes to the Gospel Project. You can find these videos and learn everything I'm talking about tonight. This idea of iniquity also relates to punishment. And it's the idea that someone receives the consequences for the choices they've made, for the crooked or wicked choices they've made. And every time or most of the time when it talks about God and his punishment, it is relating to iniquity, as in God's just punishment is actually letting us experience the recompense, the consequences of our own wicked decisions. How wild is that? How just is that? Think about God saying the wages of sin is death. This is not God saying, I'm going to strike you with death. This is God crying out going, don't you realize the consequences of your decisions? If you keep going the direction you're going, if you keep sinning, what you are earning, what you are taking on yourself is death. That is the heart of a shepherd who is crying out for us because his just punishment is only our receiving what we've chosen. What kind of justice is that? It leaves us without excuse. We can't stand before God and go, but I did not but they made me. And what is just is that you're receiving what you chose through your actions. Listen to this. Psalm 32, 1 through 5. Keep in mind, iniquity, crookedness, bent-overness. Blessed is the one whose transgression, the broken trust, is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord counts no iniquity. No crookedness, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now one of let's look at what the author is saying here. He's saying, Bless is the one whose transgression is forgiven, as in I was under this strain in this weight of sin. I felt my guilt. I've experienced my consequences. It was awful. Blessed is the one who has that lifted off of them. Blessed is that guy whose sin is covered. Blesses is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, what happened? When this guy wasn't confessing his sins, when he wasn't go- turning to the Lord, what happened? My bones wasted away through all my groaning all day long. For night and day, what? Your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. This guy feels the weight, the crushing burden of his own sin. And it was wasting away his life. And it was the heaviness of God laying on him his own consequences. You understand the difference? This isn't like God breaks a switch off a tree and is like, I'm about to give you 10 licks. This is, we made the choices that earned us our 10 licks all on our own. Are you following me? And God is saying, okay, I'm going to turn you over to your own recompense. Your choices that you have made the bed you have made, you're going to lay in it. What happens next? I acknowledged my sin to you. That's step one towards a whole new heart. That is the cry of a child to a God saying, God, I'm hopeless and I need you. And God's like, boom, I'm there with you. I cried out. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I didn't try to hide it anymore. I said, I will confess my transgressions, my broken trust with you, Lord. And get this, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. This is the picture, not of God saying, here is the con- here's my punishment I'm going to give to you, and fine, I'll take my own punishment. This is the God who loves you so much that you earned a punishment all by yourself over there, and God still says, come here, I'm going to pick this up off of you and put this on my own shoulders. What you earned all by yourself, I'm going to carry it for you. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore, carried our sins in his body on the cross, on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Isn't that beautiful? What a God we serve. Isaiah. I wanted to read this. Now, with these in mind, remember, transgressions is broken trust, broken covenant, sin, missing the target, and iniquity, is that crooked nature, that brokenness that we carry. Isaiah 53, we're going to read 4 through 7 and then skip 10 to 12, again for time's sake, but this is all amazing. Go read it on your own. Surely, he, talking about Jesus, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Wow. He's carrying the weight of our sin. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions our broken trust. He was crushed for our iniquities, our crooked nature upon him, our wicked nature upon him was the punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. We like sheep have all gone astray. We've all done our own thing. We've all wandered. Have you ever seen a drunk person? You see how empty their brain works. They're just functioning out of some sort of nerves. I don't even know what's going on. That is what we are with sin. When we are pursuing our selfish desires, we are intoxicated with our own pleasure and with our own desires. Are you following me? And that's us. We're just sheep. God's looking at us. and We're not looking back. We're just hollow. We, like sheep, have all gone astray. We have turned off target, crooked path. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him what? The iniquity, the bentness of us all. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted, yet he opened up not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. The weight of our sin that he willingly took unto him. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. Whose guilt? He shall see his offspring, as in This death is not it. He's going to see those that are going to follow him. He's going to see his sons and daughters. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many. That's us. His righteousness on us will make many. Yes, I love it. (laughs) Make many righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. He shall carry the consequences of our own wickedness. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore our sin, our missing the mark of many, and makes intercession for the transgressors, those who broke trust. Well, I know that was long. But was that beautiful or what? carried our sin in his own body for us. Segway to temptation. Because when we approach sin, sin is not the initial. It begins with temptation, right? Check it out what, what James says. James 1, 14 to 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. By his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, when it's taken root in our minds, gives birth, or conceived as in, imagine a woman becoming pregnant, it now gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. So we have this downhill slope. It's like gravity. It begins with temptedness, being tempted, our desire, then sin, then death. Actually, it goes for you, it goes the other way around. Tem- the desire, sin, death. It's this path and it's this slope. Talk about slippery slope. It's like straight down, like 90 degrees. Ah! As soon as we step off the edge here. First of all, I have good news for you. Temptation itself is not sin. Even Jesus dealt with the temptation of the three days being tempted in the wilderness. One version of the gospel says that Jesus was tempted for all 40 days with every imaginable thing that we could, that we could think of. he, rejected it, staying true, staying trustworthy, keeping covenant with the Father. Hebrews four fifteen through 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Yet he hit the mark every single time. Are you following me? He always hits a bullseye with the Father. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace and help of time of need. So he's saying, you who have sin, you who keep missing the mark, come to him because he understands. He sympathizes. He empathizes with you. He recognizes where you're coming from. So temptation isn't a sin. What is a sin is how we respond to temptation. And that's where we have to become really, really wise. And you know what makes it even harder? Is Jesus actually internalizes the whole thing. We're like, sure, I can go through my whole day and not kill anybody. I'm um, awesome. And Jesus is like, did you get really angry with someone today? It's like he killed them before God. I can go through the whole day and not cheat on my wife because I'm 15 and don't have a wife. <laughs> Jesus is like, yeah, but did you check them out and lust after them? you committed adultery in your heart. (laughs) And we're like, how can we beat this? You can't. And Jesus is like, ta-da, I'm here. We all need a savior. Absolutely, at the very deep heart level, we're crooked, bent, off target, broken trust with father. And Jesus is the only one that can reconcile that. And so we have this treadmill that we're on. We are living, working against three enemies. The first enemy is a genuine enemy. He's called the accuser, Satan. And he is looking for any way to get at you and me and tear us down. He is proactive in his work. There's also society. And society is saturated in sin and temptation. Society is absolutely sold on what is evil is good and what is good is evil. And finally, we have a traitor among us. There is a saboteur and it is my own flesh. My own desires. God who has come and changed my nature, but I have these old hurts, habits, and hangups that I'm still doing battle with. And so we're on this treadmill that if I'm not moving forward, if I start standing still for a second, I start drifting quickly off target. As soon as we lose focus on Jesus, as soon as we lose our constant focus, we're distracted. We begin to drift. It's not, it's going to take an external supernatural force to deal with us in these three enemies. Thank you, Jesus, for the Holy spirit. So where do I begin? Where do you begin? Psalm 97, 10 through 12 is so beautiful. Don't miss this opening line. Oh, you who love the Lord. If you love God, here's how you respond. You hate, hate evil. He preserves the lives of the saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous, those who stand upright. And joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, are you righteous? Those who are justified, right in relationship with God, and give thanks to his holy name. Way too often we don't hate evil. Way too often we like to toy around with it. We like to peek in on it. We like to sort of stay in the same room with it. We'll try to pick it up, put it down real quick. Way too often, we treat evil like an ex-girlfriend. We sort of stalk evil on social media. We'll call evil in the middle of the night and hang up quick. Way too often. But God's people recognize evil for what it is. It is a sick, disgusting, abhorrent disease, and it is affecting and killing everyone that we know and love. And there's got to be this drive in our heart to, to, to hate and reject everything that is evil and to run towards everything that is righteous so that we can reach out to those that don't know Jesus and call them away from the sickness. If people treated evil half as much as they treated COVID-19, we would see it differently. People are all wearing masks and staying far away from each other. What if we did that with evil? What if whenever we saw evil over there, we're like social distancing, not going there. No way, Jose. And what's worse about evil is that, actually, hold on, hold that thought. I love this. First Corinthians ten thirteen. Sorry, media guy, I'm going to back up on you in a minute. God gives us a promise, and it's this. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure. You got to recognize both sides of this. He says that he's not going to put you in a situation that you're tempted beyond what you can handle. If you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, what can you handle? But you can handle it whenever you take him up on his way of escape. Are you following me? Because what we need is to recognize sin ahead of time. Now, before we were believers, we didn't have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. What was evil seemed good, right? So we didn't have like this this red light going off. But when you accept Jesus into your heart and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, Whenever you come close to evil, there's like this red flag, like there's evil. And it's at that moment that we've got to go, all right, Lord, where's my way of escape? And I promise you, the longer you stay in that situation, the harder the escape is going to be. You can pull into the party and realize right away you don't need to be there. Get out now. Because once you're inside the door, it's a little harder to escape. Once you've had a few, it's a little harder to escape. Once you're in the bedroom, it's a little harder to escape. Are you following me? Whenever we're willing to toy around with sin a little bit, it's a slippery slope. It's a downhill run. So where do we begin? Psalm 119.10. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. We start with this heart that I'm going to be absolutely repelled by anything that is not holy and godly. And I'm going to commit my whole... Heart towards Jesus to what He's given me. So here's three steps of dealing with temptation. Step number one, overcoming temptation. Run. Run away. Get out of there. Second 2 Timothy 2:22, flee, youthful passions to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Flee! Run! Get out! First Timothy six: eleven, flee. 1 Corinthians six eighteen flee. Going Catholic Bible Sirach twenty one two run away from sin like you would a snake if you go near it it will bite you its teeth are like lions teeth destroying a person's life treat sin like ah get out of there. Now maybe this translated wrong maybe flee in the English language means when you walk into the wrong store and you're like oh this is where it wasn't where I meant to be I think I'll saunter out and go to the store next. No, if you're going to flee out of the story, be like, this is where I'm not meant to be. (laughs) Imagine Joseph, Potiphar's wife. What did he do? He took off so fast, his jacket got left behind. His sneakers were probably left behind too. He was hauling out of there. We have to get out of the situations where we are tempted, where we are nearly infected by the sin. There is so much urgency in the Bible when it comes to this subject. The second one is one of my very favorites. Noah and me were talking about it earlier this is one of his favorites too. It's the idea of bouncing away from sin. Flee from sin, bounce from sin. Now, physically, this comes up whenever you see something that tempts you and you immediately just bounce your attention to something else. As a guy, this could be someone who is not well-dressed on TV or at the mall or at the beach or whatever and I'll see it and immediately... My call by God is to bounce from that to something else. Are you following me? Men, do this. When you're scrolling your computer screen and there's clickbait, bounce to something else. We need to start bouncing our attention somewhere away from what is evil. We're fleeing with our eyes. Now, the other side of this is a mental game. Because remember, Jesus internalized this stuff. We don't need to have something external to start falling into sin. I am king number one imagination. Maybe you can relate to me. And so our thoughts begin to do the same thing. When that thought comes up that we know is sinful, instead of hanging in for the second glance where the sin is in our thoughts, we begin bouncing our thoughts somewhere else. But where? It's small inside my head. I'll give you some awesome keys. One of the first things you can bounce your thoughts to is scripture. And I'm not just saying that because this is a church event and I'm supposed to say it and it sounds cliche, but I'm telling you, if you will take the time to memorize scripture, memorize a sentence, memorize a verse, take the time to memorize a whole psalm. Whenever that temptation hits in your mind, you can immediately jump over and start quoting scripture. It, it's like, it's like life-saving. Jeremy Smith spoke at HCS a handful of weeks ago. And it rocked my world that he challenged all of us to memorize a psalm, one psalm in a whole year. So after you've got it memorized, you just keep repeating it. You wake up in the middle of the night and you can't fall back to sleep, you repeat that psalm. You're in worship and you're not really, just sort of bored with the song, you repeat the psalm. You're out in the middle of nowhere, you're driving, whatever, you just keep repeating the psalm over and over again. Let it just soak deep down inside of us. So when that thought comes in, you can jump. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, you can jump over, flee youthful passions, Go right to scripture over and over again. Give praise to the Lord, all you nations and all you coastlands. Darkness and thick cloud are all around him. Fire goes out before him and burns up his enemies all around. Righteousness and justice at the foundation of his, of his throne. Boy, what if you could pull that out whenever you're tempted in your mind? Psalm 97. That's my mine for the year. The second thing you can bounce your thoughts to is praise and prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 17. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. So imagine, I I keep attacking the guys because I am a guy, but girls just amend this for you. But guys, imagine you have that, that issue. You see that girl and your immediate thought is the lust, right? What if you started praying for her? What if your next thought was, Lord, I pray you bless this girl, that you save her life, that you're surrounded with protection, that no guy can lay a hand on her that doesn't belong to her through being a man and wife. What if your prayers started reaching out to this person? It's going to be hard to lust. What if whenever you're tempted to gossip, instead of adding to the story, you begin praying for the story? Include whatever struggle you have. We all have different ones. We start replacing, we start bouncing to prayer, to praise, to scripture. And finally, number three. So the first one, what was the first one? Y'all tell me. Run, run from sin. The second one. Bounce from sin, boink, to somewhere else. And then third, accountability to a fellow believer. 2 Timothy 2.22, did you catch this? Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. We are called to support each other, to hold each other accountable. Let's do it. Find someone that you're willing to genuinely confess to. This doesn't work if you're going to hold something back. Find someone that you trust and that they trust you so that you can confess and hold each other accountable. You can check in. You can text each other, hey, how you doing today? You been keeping your mouth in check? So my takeaway, elevate, run, bounce, find someone to be accountable with. This week. Do it tonight. Text your accountability partner. Hey, you want to be accountability partners? You'll probably misspell accountability like me. But you can do it. And it will change your life. Run. Bounce. Accountability. All right. Three kinds of sin. That was so cool. Like, Scripture just it's like comes to life now as I'm reading it through and I see transgression, iniquity, and sin. So much fun. All right. Love you. Elevate. Let's pray. And I will turn this over to Sam and Caroline. Heavenly Father, you are a good God. Forgive us. Forgive us for our sin. Thank you, Lord, that you restore, that you carry the weight of our iniquity, that you took the punishment that we do deserve. Holy Father, we bow before your throne. You are the king. And we're sheep. Lord, I pray that you will gather us together and will surrender to your shepherding. We love you, Holy Father. Protect us from temptation. And I pray that every man and woman in here is going to walk out of here, a man and woman of God, running from sin to righteousness. Amen. Thank you for listening. Episodes are recorded every Wednesday at Elevate Student Ministry. All students 7th through 12th grades are welcome.